So today I'll be talking about the procedure for taking refuge in the Buddha and the Dhamma and the Sangha and taking on the basic precept for a, a, a Buddhist meditator. Now, it's important to bear in mind that the ceremony isn't necessary for someone to uh, undertake the practice of meditation. And of course, the ceremony is not the important thing. But uh, there are people who have asked about a ceremony and have desired to, to take the formal precepts and, and take refuge formally. And personally, I think this is an excellent thing. I'm, I'm not pushing it on people, but for those people who uh, are interested, I would encourage uh, this, this sort of thing, because you have to remember that um, our mind is very used to dealing with concepts. It's very used to dealing with, with um, reactions and emotional reactions to things. And so we, we, we are really impressed by these sorts of things. It makes an impression on our minds. When I first started meditating, no one told me. They had us do this ceremony, but it was more like just let's get this over with and you know, go, we went and found a monk and did the ceremony and it was just do it to, to get it done. Uh, but later on in the course, I actually did a ceremony of my own on my own. I was having a lot of trouble in the practice, and it was it was of great psychological benefit for me to actually formally you know, go in front of this Buddha, not with anyone's help, not with anyone's encouragement, but just um, you know do my own little ceremony and reading through the the, the taking of the refuges. Uh, so. It's important to understand that this, this shouldn't be seen as some kind of um, worship or prayer or, or trying to get something from the Buddha or um, from some, some external being. It's totally for our own psychological benefit. And it is also a form of determination, like a promise to ourselves, like we take these New Year's resolutions or so on. And um, we we don't take this sort of thing seriously enough in, in modern times, I think. I mean, we make these New Year's resolutions, but I, I, would, I would bet that most people have a hard time keeping them. Now, if your mind is strong, and if you work hard at training the mind, resolutions can have great power on your mind. They, they can push you in a, in a certain direction and really actually um, you know, train your mind to think in a certain way and to think positively. You know, people, they say, who think positively, get positive things happen to them. This is, uh, some people say it's the secret to life. But um, if you apply this to, to, um, you know, to a spiritual path and say this is the way I'm going and this is the direction I intend to go in and reaffirm that uh, in a uh, ceremonial or uh, ritual sort of, sort of fashion, it has an effect on the mind. So these aren't just empty rituals, they're meant to have some psychological benefit to remind us of what's important and to keep, keep us um, aware and, and, and thinking about things that are, are important. And this is really you know, the essence of the meditation. This is you know, sort of on, on, the, on the basic level, something that keeps us uh, focused on important things. So I'm just going to go through explaining, in, in this video I'm going to explain um, the significance and the meaning behind the, the procedure. And then I'll do another video to, to actually go over the procedure. 
but probably if people are interested we can do live interactive um, taking of the precepts online and, and, and can also be done in person if you ever uh, if we ever have the chance to meet <coughs> but this video is just going to be explaining the, the significance to help people to get ready so that um, you know when the time comes to take the precepts to take to take refuge and there's an understanding of what it means and it, it's actually meaningful so the the first part of the procedure is to it, it's all just done with uh, with with chanting in in the Pali language, and we use the Pali because it's very exact, and um, the it, it's the original language that that we consider to have been spoken in the time of the Buddha, and uh, it, it's really a, a beautiful melodic sort of language. So we use this. It's also a standard in the Buddhist uh, community. So it's not English. It's not this language or that language. All of the countries in, in the tradition that I follow uh, share this language. And in fact, Buddhism shares either Pali or Sanskrit. It's, it's a basic language that we, that we all share. So wherever you go, you have uh, very similar sorts of, of uh, words or, or sorts, of, sorts of phrases. And so for that reason, it's quite useful. It's good if you can learn what the words mean and not have to worry about your individual language and, and be able to use this universal language. So the first thing we do is pay respect to the Buddha. Uh, this is sort of pre preliminary to anything we do as Buddhists. So um, if, if you, when, you take the, when you do this in a formal setting or when, before a monk gives a talk, they'll often pay respect to the Buddha. Just thinking about the Buddha and remembering uh, him and, and, and somehow you know paying respect to the fact that this is this comes from someone else so that we don't feel egotistical and we're not thinking of it as my teachings and uh, we're not putting ourselves up as some great teacher we pay respect to the person whose teaching this is and we do that by reciting three times this form of, of homage, which is Namotasa, Bhagavato, Arahato, Samma, Sambuddhasa. Uh, and, and this is, a, this you'll find throughout the, the Buddhist world. And in fact, it, it contains uh, words that are found also in Hinduism. And, and you know, just have a general sense of, of reverence and respect. Namotasa. Namo means. Uh, homage or respect or veneration so in this case we're paying homage so we say uh, I pay homage or th this is homage to, um, to to someone in the same uh, if you go to India or if you've ever heard this the, the people who have studied Indian traditions will say namaste namaste namas is the same as namo so when we say namo we're saying namas which is is paying homage Dasa means to him or to that one uh, and in this context if you want to if you want to put significance on this word where we are focusing specifically on on uh, the Buddha and a um, an enlightened being in this tradition so we're not saying you know it's not you know, what all people consider to be uh, enlightened beings or enlightened beings in other traditions and other uh, disciplines or with people who have other beliefs and other ideas of what is the truth. It's specifically along the Buddhas, along the path that we have in, in what has come to be called Buddhism. So someone else might say, this is a Buddha. Well, we say, you know, we have an understanding of what is a Buddha. And so, so that's who we're referring to, we're referring to that one. So, or, or but simply it just means homage to him or or her or a person who is 
has become a Buddha, or that class of people who have become a Buddha, namotasa. Bhagavato means um, the, the Lord. Uh, you have to understand the, where this word comes from, Bhagavato, uh, Bhagavata, uh, Bhagava. Bhagava means someone who has a share, someone who has a portion. So it's pretty easy to see where this came from. In India it would have referred originally, before it took on a religious significance, uh, to a lord, a, 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 a someone who you paid taxes to. So uh, the farmers would have to pay some kind of uh, share. And so in the same way as the English word Lord came to be used in a religious significance, uh, because you know they were, this was considered to be someone you put up on high, anyone that you put up on high you can you call Bhagawa. Uh, it took on in, in ancient India a religious significance. So in Buddhism we're, we're just appropriating the word, it's actually something that comes not from Buddhism but from ancient India and you'll find it in uh, in, in Hinduism as well and uh, throughout the religions of India they will use the word Bhagawa. So Bhagavato means to the, to the, to the Lord or to our, our leader you can say. It's just someone who we, we put on high and, and we say this person is to be respected or this type of person. Uh, and, and this is our preliminary homage of, of paying respect and, and having humility in, in terms of, as I said, not taking this as something, uh, something of our own or something that we should feel proud of or so on. It's something that we have been blessed to have been given by someone else. And so we feel grateful and we, um, we, we take this as a, a gift that someone has given to us or that, you know, that, that has been passed on. Bhagavato then Arahato means the the Buddha is someone who is um, to be respected or worthy of respect, um, who is exalted. I guess it's just another way of, of of praising. I guess someone who is is good, uh, someone who is worth this sort of respect. And then the final word Sammasambuddhasa means the Buddha is someone this. This person who we're paying respect to is someone who has become perfectly self-enlightened. People who become enlightened are of three types. Uh, one type of person comes to uh, comes to understand uh, the basics that are required to let go of everything. But they maybe don't understand everything. They don't know everything. Like they may not know, you know, the nature of the cosmos or so on. But they understand themselves enough to let go of everything. Another class of person is someone who comes to understand, uh, comes to to understand these things by themselves. So you know, the first type of person uh, might have teaching or, or will have teaching and instruction, and it and requires an enlightened being to pass it on to them. But a second type of person comes to let go of everything by themselves without any help. But they still don't know everything, or they still aren't able to to to. Uh, set it up and, and present it to someone else and to, to, to teach. The third type of, of person, Asama Sambuddha, Buddha, is uh, someone who realizes the truth for themselves but also comes to understand everything and to really understand the way the universe works and is able therefore to explain the path to someone else. They're able, they're able to understand you know, the, the, the way for other beings and actually all beings to uh, to develop the path and to develop themselves spiritually. So they're able to teach it to others. We consider this third type to be quite special because for all the rest of us we just follow along what someone else has told us and 
and therefore we're able to let go and, and to open ourselves up and to understand uh, the you know, basics of reality. But here we have a special being who was actually able to to teach all of these things, to come to understand them for yourselves. And if you ever study the Buddha's teaching, you come to realize what a profound thing it is and how difficult it would it would actually be, uh, if not impossible, for most of us to to be able to put it together in such a clear and and um, uh, you know, easy to understand manner. So this is a, the preliminary that we will do. We'll say this three times: Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa. After saying that three times, then we start to take refuge in the Buddha Dhamma Sangha. So uh, I'm going to assume that you understand that most the people who are listening to this, watching this, know what the three um, treasures are, the three jewels in Buddhism, the three valuable things: is the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. Uh, the, but but basically, you know, briefly, the Buddha is is our teacher, the one who passed us on, as I explained. The Dhamma is his teaching, and the Sangha is the people who became enlightened as a result of practicing his teachings and have therefore passed his teachings on until the present day. So this is what we're taking refuge in, and this is really the the core of the ceremony. They're, they're, the precepts will follow that, but the important point, and what many people consider to be the, the point where you become Buddhist, or you consider yourself to be actually following the Buddha, is when you make this sort of conversion in a sense. But, but what it means is that you are uh, you, you have accepted or you have aligned yourself with the Buddha's teaching and you believe, um, you know, hopefully through your practice and through the, the, um, the realizations that you've gained, uh, you, you take the, Buddha, the Buddha's teaching to be the correct path and you accept that uh, uh, that his teaching is the one for you. So you, you narrow your scope of practice. You've, you've come to the point where you're not going to um, pick and choose. It's not a buffet anymore. You know what you want. Uh, you, you know the, the practice that you want to follow. And that happens to be uh, the teaching of the Buddha. So you, you've taken a step that maybe many people don't ever come to. So many people might come to practice meditation, but then they go to practice yoga, and they, they do many things, and, and they follow, therefore, many spiritual teachings, and they do it just you know because this helps, this helps, and it just makes me feel good. But for someone who, who seriously, you know, um, finds something deep and, and, and meaningful in the Buddha's teaching and wants to pursue this to, to the next level, wants to take this on as a life path and, and a path quite possibly for for lifetimes to come uh, they will they will take this step and and it's meaningful and it sets you and it, it keeps you gives you encouragement and, and keeps you set on the path that you've chosen so it's a useful thing and you'll find that it actually gives you encouragement in your practice and helps you to uh, you know to, to uh, work through difficult situations and to uh, surpass difficulty in your practice. So it's a general, generally a really good thing to do if you've come to that level where you, you, you believe that the, or you see that the Buddha's teaching is for you and you want to follow this. And again, it's not mandatory, it's just something that's, that's a good psychological benefit. So the, the, pro the process is to repeat, to your, repeat out loud 
that you go to the Buddha for refuge, you go to the Dhamma for refuge, you go to the Sangha for refuge, and to do that three times. So first you say buddhang saranangachami, then dhammang saranangachami, sanghang saranangachami. Then you say dutiyampi, which means for a second time, buddhang saranangachami, dhammang saranangachami, dutiyampi dhammang saranangachami, dutiyampi sanghang saranangachami, which is for a second time. Then you say tatiyampi, which means for a third time, tatiyampi buddhang saranangachami, tatiyampi dhammang saranangachami, tatiyampi sanghang saranangachami. And this completes the going uh, for refuge. Now, the, the traditional way of doing this is to repeat after a monk, uh, someone who, who is you know, trained to, uh, to lead you through this. So they will say at first, buddhang saranangachami, and then you repeat after them, and so on. Now, the meaning of the words, uh, the dutiyampi tatiyampi, just means sec for a second time and for a third time, but buddhang saranangachami, dhammang saranangachami, sanghang saranangachami. Buddhang, dhammang, sanghang means to the Buddha, to the Dhamma, to the Sangha. The ang at the end, the ng, which is often represented as an m with a dot under it, uh, just just is a declension that means to the, the, in this case, means to the Buddha, to the Dhamma, to the Sangha. Uh, sarana is an interesting word because it either means refuge or it means, uh, some people translate as reference, but uh, object of recollection. So uh, if you think of how Christians say, what would Jesus do? It's kind of in that vein. It's where you, uh, when you, when you come to a decision that you have to make, you might often put aside your own preference or be wary or temper your own decisions with the things that the Buddha taught. So rather than just from now on, rather than just following after my desires, I'm going to uh, think of the Buddha. So uh, it's kind of a promise to yourself or, or a determination in your mind that you're going to uh, give up uh, some of your own desires, attachments, addictions and in, in favor of what the Buddha taught. And it may be that even in the beginning you don't, um, you know, you, you're, you're, there's a conflict in your mind where you say, you know, I want to, I really like this, I really like that. But you say to yourself, no, the Buddha has taught that these things are, are uh, to my detriment and so on and so I'm going to take his word, trust him on that and so on. Uh, or, or even that, that you know they're wrong but, but you want to do them anyway or you do do them anyway. You know that they're leading you to addiction and to suffering but you, do, you, you partake in them anyway. Well now you say, no because that's, you know, the, the Buddha has, has clearly explained you know, uh, the, the method that we should follow and, and so I'm going to abstain from that and so on. This is, this is um, this is one aspect of it. You know, another aspect is just generally thinking of the Buddha uh, before you do anything. What would the Buddha do? And when you realize, uh, or, or, or referring back to the Buddha's teaching and keeping it in mind so that it, it reminds you that, oh, that's not right to do. Right, right, I forgot. You know, when, when you get caught up in addiction, you say, you know, that's, th th this is clearly against what I know to be the right path. Uh, and it means that you study the Dhamma, you study the teachings, and you keep them in mind. So you keep the Buddha in mind as an example, you keep the Dhamma, his teaching in mind, and you keep the, the, the followers of the Buddha in mind. So this is the group that you want to become a part of, the group of people who have given up attachment, who have given up aversion, who have given up delusion, who are acting in line with the, the truth of, of reality.
and um, practicing in a way that brings peace and harmony to the world. So, um, and get, so this is what the saranam, saranang, well, means for as a refuge or as a object of, of of reference or of recollection, something to keep in mind. It actually comes from the same word as mindfulness, sati and sarana uh, actually come from the same root or can be be derived from the same root so it means i will be uh, i will keep in mind the buddha and his teachings and, and the sangha uh, but a lot of people like to think of it as a refuge that uh, you are placing your trust in the buddha and you're and you're placing your confidence in his teachings and in the sangha so you are um, you you are saying to yourself you're accepting this, um, you, you could say, religious um, you know, sort of a, a universe, and this this is going to be your uh, path, and and the people that you respect and look up to, and the teachings that you follow. So this is going to be your refuge, and um, th that you know that's that's really the where the greatest psychological benefit comes for someone who's who's new to the meditation. It's something that you know brings great peace and and confidence to a person, you know, the, the idea of belonging, why some people have told me that they're Buddhists and they don't have a group in their area so they'll go to church just to feel part of a community and to feel part of the, the, the love and compassion and, and the, the caring, um, you know, the community aspect of, of having a refuge, of having somewhere to go and people who understand and people who are kind and empathic and so on. So I, I don't think we should put this. Aside. We should discard this. I think we should see the significance that as human beings, this this fulfills some sort of a need, at least in the beginning. Eventually, the idea is that we can we can live anywhere and be in any situation and be alone. And eventually, we go so so much inside that it doesn't really matter where we are. Um, we can be anywhere. We can be alone, or we can be surrounded by hostile people, and we're still at peace with ourselves. But in the beginning, it's a, it can be a great help, and I found personally that it, it, it was a great help for my practice, and it probably pulled me through my first meditation course, just because you know, I thought to go and do this this ceremony on my own. So, uh, and the third word is gachami. Gachami means I go. So it, um, it it's the placing your yourself in the care or in the in uh, in the um, under the guidance of the Buddha and his teachings and so on. This is taking the step. This is what the word gachami means. So when you repeat this, you can keep in mind this, uh, you know, the meaning of these things. Once you have said these three times, this completes the going of uh, the going to the to the refuges or the, the the going to these three objects as refuge or or taking them, uh, taking the step of becoming a, a follower of these. Uh, three objects. After that, traditionally, people will well will un will begin to undertake the meditation. So the first step in the meditation practice is to give up those things that are going to be contrary to the meditation practice, and those are uh, the five abstentions that the Buddha said are are the basic of morality. Even if you're not meditating, they're considered to be, according to the Buddha, to be those things that all be all people uh, should refrain from if they're hoping for spiritual advancement and or even just to maintain their level of clarity of mind because by breaking these five uh, precepts or these five determinations that one's mind will become defiled and, and, and 
the, the it's the opposite of the spirit of spiritual development. So the five rules for those people who are not aware are we we and they're not rules; they're determinations. This is important to understand. We're we're not um, you know taking something that we have to be bound to. We're we are undertaking these things by ourselves because they're considered training. So the Pali word that we'll say is sikha padang. Pada means means uh, you know item, but sika means training. Sika sika means a training. So it's an a training rule or a training item. Uh, one one type of training that we're taking. So each one is a sika pada, which means a item of training or something that we train ourselves in. It's so it's a part of our practice. It's something that. Um, Help, helps us develop, to develop our mind and is a part of the development of our spiritual development so not, so we undertake first of all not to kill um, you know, be, because we don't want to be you know, we value our lives and um, the understanding that we, we have an understanding that it brings um, it brings distress to other beings and to kill some to kill another being is you know one of the most disruptive things you can do, uh, be, you know, because suddenly they've they've been they've been cut off from the life that they were leading, and you know the mind has to find a uh, you know a new a new way to go. It's like you know, rather than dying naturally, they've been cut off, and that's terribly disconcerting. Not to mention painful, fearsome. You know, uh, it's it's a terrible thing to have to go through death. Uh, and and so therefore it's something that defiles our mind. It's something that destroys the harmony and it sends out these karmic ripples into the universe. It it has a visible impact on our universe uh, and on our spiritual advancement. And and many people don't see this until it's too late. So we take it as a rule. Even even if we you know don't see the problem with killing, I guarantee that eventually you will once your mind becomes subtle enough to see what you're doing to yourself. Uh, one of the great things about keeping this precept and all the precepts is that you bring uh, safety to all beings. Not only are you helping yourself, but the great thing you can think of is suddenly you have brought protection to the whole universe. There is no being now that has to be afraid from you. You have suddenly become uh, declawed. You know, you are no longer a source of danger. You've brought, uh, you, you brought freedom from danger. You've brought safety to the universe. Uh, you have given unlimited safety to unlimited number of beings by taking the precepts. It's, some, it's a gift, gift that you give. This is called abhayadana, which means uh, the gift of of um, you know, not being dangerous or of of having no danger, where people don't have to be afraid of you. Uh, beings don't have to be afraid of you, and you'll see that. You'll see that animals begin to. Uh, empathize with you and are able, you know are, are more keen and. and uh, are more likely to associate with you. Uh, animal, dogs that you've never met, the cats that you've, you've never seen, they're more likely to be attracted to you because they feel these, the safety and the security. People as well, they will never feel afraid or threatened by you um, because of your, you know, the, the, the vibes that you give off uh, and, and the confidence that you have based on, on, on your uh, stability of mind. Uh, and the second one is we undertake not to steal, uh, and so the same thing where suddenly no one has to be afraid from you, and of course your mind becomes much more stable if you undertake this as a rule. And we take these as rules, you know, 
the idea is that even though we might want to steal or it might be somehow to our advantage and you think, ah, it's not going to hurt the person so much, we take it as a rule. We think, you know, it, it's just not worth it. Um, you know, more important, they say, you know, you, you will protect your, you will give up your, your belongings to save your body, but um, we should always think that we're, we, we'd be better off to give up our body and, and even our, our physical well-being, our health, to save our minds, to, to keep our minds clear. So even even at the point of death, uh, it's better off to save your mind and to keep your mind clear. Because dying with a clear mind is a much better thing than than living with an, an unclear mind, you know, living in, and you know and continuing to defile your mind. Uh, so we undertake not to steal, not to cheat, which you know, basically refers to adultery or um, sexual or romantic activity that causes emotional damage to other people, you know, breaking your promises and so on, or breaking uh, up other people's marriages and relationships. Number four, we undertake not to lie, uh, because lying is something that distorts reality. It's the the only one that 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 really deals with this, the, the truth, you know, the, the 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 nature of reality. The other ones are going against. Um, what, what leads to happiness, but this one is actually going against what is real. When you lie to someone, and if they believe you, you've, you know, you, you've you've turned reality on its head, on uh, so to speak. You, you you've upset the the understanding of that being, and you've you've made them understand something that is false to be true. Uh, it's a terribly wicked thing to do, and it, it causes. Uh, great harm and, and often harm that we don't uh, we, we don't foresee you know, they say what a tangled web you weave when first you practice to deceive it's it's a uh, it's something that that tangles up reality and tangles up our our universe something that we, we refrain from doing as a rule and the fifth one is to not take intoxicants uh, drugs or alcohol um, this is the this one is the most um, contrary to the meditation practice, I mean they all are, but but this one is most clearly contrary because that's the only thing that's wrong with it. You could say, well, I can drink alcohol and not hurt anyone, but the point is you're hurting your mind. Your your mind is being defiled as you drink, right? We we why do we drink often is because it takes away our inhibitions and we don't have to live with the repercussions of our actions. We you know, we 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 feel like uh, we can do anything and. So as a result, we do say and, and do things that we wouldn't otherwise. And you know, as a result of simply in, intoxicating ourselves, we can create a lot of harm and, and, and disruption. But no matter what, even the slightest amount of intoxication, one drink, uh, what it does to your mind is removes your ability to, to analyze and to think clearly and to live with. Um, it, it allows you to avoid the situation and it, it builds up in states of delusion and states of avoidance in st you know when, when you feel this stress and kind of anxiety it takes the edge off right but but that edge is what we are trying to deal with what we're trying to understand it, it, we're not trying to avoid the difficulties in life you know, we're trying to deal with them and, and the only way you can deal with them is to let them be and learn to uh, learn to rise above them learn to not react to them so this is this is something that that immediately uh, goes in the opposite direction 
towards avoidance, towards repression, and so on, and certainly doesn't make you a better person or, or make you more better to de easy, um, more better at dealing with the situation. It makes you worse at dealing with them and more inclined towards avoidance and, and repression. So these are the five five rules that we take, the five determinations that we take to abstain from. Uh, the next, the next thing we're going to do is, is of course, take on a practice, which is the meditation practice. But these are the things. This is the opposite. The things that we have to take out. There's two sides. Certain things that we won't do. Certain things that we will do. Uh, so this is the first thing we do before we meditate. We take these things out of our our lives, and um, we we should feel happy about this. This is something that also brought me great joy. Um, in fact, I remember when I took the precepts and I was reading about how, you know, the, this, the significance of it, what you're doing to change your reality. Now, no longer beings have to be afraid. Uh, no, no longer anyone has to be suspicious of you. Uh, and no longer you have to feel guilty because you, you can feel proud of yourself and, and comfortable about yourself that you, you have given these things up. Uh, I actually I remember crying at the time just in, of such joy and such happiness because of course I hadn't kept really uh, any of the precepts before I, I started meditating so it's something that has great uh, significance and spiritual importance uh, in our practice for us to be able to take and to keep these precepts taking them helps you to keep them because even if you do break them sometimes, well, you take them again and you, you renew your vows and you, you promise yourself again that you're going to, to train yourself in this, train yourself out of these things uh, and, and use these as a, as a support for your training. So we recite these five in, in Pali as well and, and again, I'll give the text for it and I'll try to do a, a video where we, we go through the ceremony. Um, but probably in the meantime, I'll just, you know, people who want to do it, we can do it individually uh, over Skype or whatever. Uh, the first rule, Panati Patawe Ramani Sikha Padang Samadhi Yami. Panati Pata, Pana means uh, something that lives, something that breathes. Panati uh, Pata means to take away the life of, of something that lives. Veramani is going to be in all of them. Veramani means uh, the um, abstention, or uh, to uh, I train myself in, in in the abstention from this, from taking life. Panati pata veramani sikapadang samadhiyami. Samadhiyami, I you know I I undertake or or I determine or I uh, vow, I guess to. Uh, to do this, to refrain Vairamani from taking life. Uh, then the second one, Adina Dana Vairamani Sikapadang Samadhiyami. Adina Dana, Adina means something that is not given. Dana, uh, Adina means not given. Dana means means the thing. So something that is not given, a, a gift that is not given. I will refrain from taking things uh, that, that are not given. Uh, so, so you know, and then stealing, basically. The third one, kame sumichachara veramani sikapadang samadhiyami. So in regards to kama, kame su, in regards to kama, which means sensual, sensuality, or in this case, sex, uh, romance, uh, lust, uh, michachara, 
Micha means wrong, Jara means, means behavior. So I will refrain from wrong behavior in regards to sexuality, sensuality, in regards to romance, as I mentioned. So, uh, and specifically, the, the things that we consider to be wrong are those that cause emotional damage to, to, to other people, breaking up relationships, adultery, and so on. Number four, Musawa Dawi Ramani Sikapadang Samadhyami. Samadhyami, I undertake to refrain from Musawada. Musa means uh, false. Uh, wada means speech, so false speech, speech that is untrue. Claiming something to be true that is not actually true, lying. Number five, Sura Meraya Majapamadatana Ve Ramani Sikapadang Samadhyami. Sura is a type of alcohol. Sura meraya. Meraya is another form of alcohol, and you know it's just the the distinction that they had. You could say one would be like beer and wine, and the other one would be hard hard liquor, like whiskey and and vodka and so on, or or however the distinction is made. But it it refers specifically to anything that creates intoxication. So the Sura Meraya Majja Pamadatana. Majja means um, that uh, the, makes you, that is an intoxicant. So Sura is one type, type of alcohol. Meraya is another type. Uh, Majja is, means anything that is an intoxicant. And uh, specifically those things that are Pamadatana. Pamada means uh, they lead to intoxication or they lead you to uh, lose your your ability to you know, to catch yourself, your ability to be aware or your alertness. They make you unalert and unaware, heedless and so on. Pamada is actually a, a core doctrine in the Buddha's teaching. So this is why I said this one is directly related to the practice because the Buddha ta ta always you know, emphasized and his last words were Appamada, Appamadena Sampadeta, that we should strive on with Appamada. Pamada meaning, as I said, negligence, intoxication, heedlessness, unalertness. Appamada is the opposite. A means not. So we should strive on uh, to, to bring about this state of alertness, this state of awareness, this state of, of clarity of mind. Uh, so, so the point being that these things are the opposite. Pamada tana. Tana means a basis or um, a foundation or a support for uh, that there is something that, that are a basis for us to become intoxicated, for us to become negligent, for us to lose our mindfulness. Because apamada is, is considered to be synonymous with mindfulness. So these things lead to mindlessness. They, they take away our ability to uh, judge and discriminate between a, a proper thing to do and an improper thing to do or the ability to see the true nature of something and to understand it for what it is. So these are the five basic precepts. Now, when we undertake a meditation course, we'll take more rules. So people will undertake not to eat in the afternoon, for example. We'll undertake not to, uh, not to engage in entertainment or beautification and we'll undertake to sleep on the floor. These are, and, and total celibacy during the meditation course. But these are, are, those are meditator precepts specifically for when you do an intensive course. In your daily life, it's very important only to keep these five rules. And, you know, really when you think about it, it's only five rules. 
if you can live by these and if this can be your your code of ethics then um, you've really done a wonderful thing and it's not that difficult to do it's not something that is or should be considered impossible what you may find is that it forces you to change your lifestyle it forces you to give up some of your old friends some of your old uh, habits and to stop going to certain places your 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 old routines of of going to the bar going to parties and so on uh, it, it'll force you to change and and for the good really because it'll force you to seek out those people who are also on a spiritual path and are also interested in their own well-being who aren't just living their lives recklessly uh, living for the pleasure of today at the uh, detriment to their spiritual well-being tomorrow and, and in the future so uh, it's definitely not a negative thing and it's something that I think if you're also practicing meditation something that brings great joy and happiness to keep these. It shouldn't be done in a way that, that, that makes you feel bad and unhappy. Though in the beginning that might be the case uh, and you, know, you shouldn't feel feel upset about that. You shouldn't feel bad that it's it's difficult to do in the beginning but um, you, know, you, you should train yourself to try to see the benefit of these things and through your practice of meditation to see that actually these things are incredibly important for your spiritual well-being. And that's it. That That is the basically what many people would call becoming a Buddhist. It's nothing you know, dramatic. There's nothing, there's no vow, no great vows that you have to take. That's it. You take some, some basic vows of morality and you make a determination that you're going to follow the Buddhist teaching. Uh, and, and, and that's it. You, know, you, you have respect for the Buddha and his teachings and you intend to follow them. So this is, I think, uh, going to be a good guide that will be useful so I don't have to say this again and again. Uh, people can just refer back to this and I'll refer people back to this. And for those people who are interested in becoming Buddhists, hopefully there will be a chance. Uh, you can do it on your own. You don't need to be led through it. Many people find that it's more significant to do it with a teacher in the same way that you might ordain as a monk or, or a nun. Uh, and you'd do that through it, you'd always have someone who ordains you, so to speak. Uh, but in a pinch, you can do it on your own, and I'll try to put out a video that allows you to do that, where you can repeat after the video uh, of, of me saying these things and having you, you know, giving a pause for you to repeat them. I did that when I first started taking the rules. I, I had some recording and I played the tape and I just said the rules, said the, 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 repeated the refuges and the rules by myself and that was enough and uh, you know living on your own that can be a great uh, empowerment, it's something that uh, brings great encouragement in your practice, as I said reminds you of good things and keeps you uh, interested and aligned in them. So I hope this has been a benefit and again maybe many people will not be interested in this and that's fine, I'm not I'm not going to discriminate between those who do this and those who don't. It's strictly for your benefit. If you think it's something that you're into and many people are into this sort of thing, then you're welcome to um, to, to join us in our uh, our dedication to this practice. So thanks again for tuning in. Wish you all the best and hope that everyone, uh, through your practice, you're able to find true peace, happiness, and freedom from suffering. Have a good day.